Man, it's great to have you guys here this morning, and uh, we are walking through a series called Gospel Deep, His Glory Elevated. Gospel Deep, His Glory Elevated. We're making much of God's glory, and we've been walking through the book of Romans, right? So now we're up to Romans 9, 10, and 11, and and yes, we're walking through Romans 9, 10, and 11. We're going to see what God has to teach. We're not walking around We're walking through even the tough truths and saying, Lord, shape our hearts. What do we need to know? I'm telling you this, as you walk through 9, 10, and 11, you can't help but grasp God's glory on a whole new plane. God's glory elevated. So that's what we're doing as we walk through this. We're in Romans chapter 9. Remember, there are two words that are a big deal, all right? Sovereignty, God's sovereignty, responsibility. Man's responsibility, right? So we have God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And in fact, as you walk through Romans chapter 9, God's sovereignty, his hand on everything, over everything. Yeah, that's Romans chapter 9. And then we see the follow through the, so what about us and man's responsibility, Romans chapter 10. Okay, so those two come together. It's very important that we get the whole of both of those chapters before we claim we know what's going on. All right. And so we're getting through nine right now and uh, excited to see all that God's been doing. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Right. So today we're on the third part of God's sovereignty sermon title here. God's sovereignty above reproach. I wrestled with different sermon titles this week and I finally came to this. The main point is this. God is not wrong above reproach, all right? God's sovereignty. Everything he's doing makes total perfect sense. Where it doesn't, well, we need some growing to do in our own thinking and understanding, all right? God's sovereignty above reproach, all right? So we're going to jump into Romans chapter 9, verse 19. We're going to dive in there. We've got ushers coming forward. they got Bibles in their hands. So if you don't have a Bible, you're going to want one. We walk through these verse by verse. Just raise your hand. They'll get a Bible to you. I'm going to also have these guys come up. They're going to set up an illustration. I'll step back, Mike. There you go. And uh, they're going to set up the illustration that we used last week. We're going to start from there and then move forward into this passage, all right? So God's sovereignty above reproach. First point. How is it above reproach? First point. Accept that you have full responsibility for your sin while God has his hand of sovereignty in every moment. Accept that you have full responsibility for your sin while God has his hand of sovereignty in every moment. Yes, his hand is over everything and sovereign in everything. And yes, you are responsible for all of your choices and actions along the way. Both of those are true and we're going to walk through that. So he starts out verse 19. He says here, you will say to me, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? What's he talking about? Well, this falls back to verse 18. All right. And we ended the last week with verse 18. That's why we brought this back up. We're going to talk through this. So verse 18, a tough verse. It says, so then God has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. And, uh, how do we best understand that? Here's how we best understand that. All right. So for those of you who weren't here last week, don't we make good props? Breck Nelson, appreciate it. And uh, so this is God. All right. This represents God himself, this pillar right here. And uh, it's all about him. And uh, this represents the inclination of our hearts. It's a ramp 
This yellow ball is uh, you and me. Aren't we pretty? And uh, here's the problem with us. From birth, man has a problem where their heart is inclined away from God. If they run their own direction, it is away from him. All right? Everything is about doing their own thing, shaking their fist at, not seeking after God. In fact, the only reason that man even remotely stays somewhat close to God is the very hand of God on them. Mercy of God as he pours it in. We'll talk a lot about that today in the passage. So I'm not going to spend much time there. But God even sustaining. And well, what does it mean that God hardens a heart? It simply means this. God pulls out his hand of mercy. And they're allowed to go to the natural inclination of their heart. Hardening. It's when God is allowing man to run to the end of their own decision. It's God's sovereign over it as he pulls his hand out. That's hardening. He hardens whomever he wills. Well, what does it mean that he'll have mercy on whomever he wills then? So, Steve, you get to be the hand of God today. Let's incline some hearts. This was the move of God as a heart is now inclined towards him. And the same person that was running away from God now all of a sudden is running towards God, believing confessing, expressing faith in him, the responsibility as he runs towards him, all theirs, but God has changed the inclination of the heart. He will have mercy as he raises and they run towards him with all they've got. So where are we from birth? Let's put it back down. This is where we're at. Rebellion, standing against God, pushing away from him all the time. And God, at times, chooses whom he's going to work with and whom he's going to harden, where he just says, I'm going to let you have exactly what you want, the end of all of it. And for some, he says, look, you want to be against me, but I'm going to do a work. I'm going to change the inclination of your heart. And then they run towards. All right. We're going to keep this up here throughout. Thanks, man. And uh, we'll bring it back down before worship. But this is going to help us in the second piece. It's really important we understand this because otherwise all of a sudden we're saying, what if God's like taking people that are neutral towards him or even kind of wanting to head towards him and he's like smacking them away? Like maybe that's what hardening is and that's everybody say that's not what it is. That's not what it is. Natural inclination of the heart and they're running away from him. Hardening is letting them have their way. All right? That's what hardening is. God chooses to allow a hardening with some And he mercifully chooses to raise and incline the hearts towards him with some. And uh, that's God's choice. Now we're back to verse 19. He says, you will say to me, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Like, hey, if God's choosing and God's doing the deciding and the willing and he's letting some run away and he's causing some to run towards, well, then what's he doing blaming and Paul's fielded some questions and he's given some answers up till now. And so he gets to this point and he's got this tough question. And so here's Paul's answer. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? That's it. That's what he's got. Be quiet. Stop questioning the almighty king. I, I would say it this way. Paul has moved from informing the head in these questions to now challenging the heart. He's saying, listen, I can hear where your heart's at in this, and we've got a problem. You are literally talking back to the Almighty God. You are talking back to God himself. Uh, That's a bad plan. Did you know that? Everybody just turn to your neighbor and say, dude, don't talk back to God. 
right? Like, let's not do that. That would be a bad plan. And Paul's like, hey, you're talking back. Every parent in the room knows those words, right? And there's a point where the questioning is questioning, and there's a point where the questioning is more than questioning. And this is one of those spots where you've gotten to the end of the more than questioning. It says, um, you will say, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? You hearing it? Just so you know, this is the end question. The ultimate question is, if you're in charge and creating, well, then I think I'll blame you for everything. And there's a point where you have to wrestle with what it means that God is sovereign, but I am still responsible for my decisions. And he doesn't explain how that's true here. He just says, hey, it's true, okay? Stop talking back. That's where we're at. That's all he gives us is a talk to the heart that we keep in check what's going on. He now answers a little more clearly. Uh, why have you made me like this? Now he goes on. Has the potter no right over the clay? Just so you know, Paul is now into metaphor land. Has the potter no right over the clay? And uh, in case you didn't pick up on it, we're the clay. Okay. This isn't really the most flattering analogy, right? We're, we're the ding-dongs. We're the... God is standing... Have you ever made something? Have you ever done that where you're taking clay and you're like shaping it? Or even on a wheel where you're like spinning it? And like in four seconds, the thing's all lopsided and falling apart, right? And, and does the clay ever at some point go, you're a loser? <laughs> right? That's what he's saying. Does the, does the clay really ever talk back to the potter? And uh, please be careful with this. We are nothing but a created being in the hands of the almighty creator. He does know what he's doing. And we need to trust him. And uh, it says, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? Of course, the answer is yes. He has every right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. In the actual Uh, meanings of those words for honorable use and dishonorable use. It's like he can make one for like stately China for a king to be eating with and another dishonorable, the chamber pot in the back room and we don't even want to talk about what's in it. And right, that's what he's talking about. Honorable and dishonorable use and the potter knows what he's doing and he's making them for both. And, And the metaphor there is really Some to have mercy on and some, well, he's allowing a hardening of the heart. And yes, God has choice over that. And uh, just so you know, though, God is just. We talked about this in the first question back in verse 14. He is just. He has every right. Man has chosen to run away from him. And there is a rightful response of God as righteous king. He's not being unjust in any way in that action. That's such a big deal. Everybody say, that's a big deal. That's a big deal, man. God is right in what he does. God is right. Okay? And um, and I'm not sure I get this whole God's sovereignty, man's responsibility thing. All right. Here's the best analogy that I can give it. And uh, I've heard this before. Uh, imagine there's a rope that goes up into heaven, and that rope is labeled God's sovereignty. Okay? 
goes up into heaven, comes over the top of a pulley system up in heaven and comes back down out. And we label the other side of the rope man's responsibility. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. All right. And there's a pulley connecting them. If you just grab onto God's responsibility and try to hang on it and yank down, well, the whole rope will just come off the pulley system and it's done. God's in charge of everything. We have no choice. We have no responsibility. It's all just him and whack and the whole thing will come off. Or you could go to the other side. You just grab onto man's responsibility. It's all us. It's all our choosing. God doesn't have any say whatever we want and do and whack and the whole thing comes off. The only way that it stands and works is when you grab onto both intention at some level, God absolutely in charge overall, everything working through his hands. And yet we are responsible for our decisions and absolutely holding on to both of them is the biblical position. All right. God's sovereignty and responsibility. I'm not sure I get how that works out, Tim. It's a pulley system in heaven. I just said, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of details behind it that we don't necessarily get. And there's some things we need to work out over time. Some of it will take you a lifetime and then some. And it's great to be wrestling with it. Don't be questioning God himself as if we stand in judgment. Instead, Lord, I'd love to know more of how you're working and where it's clear, great, and where it's not, I'm done. Okay? That's great. So simple question. Do you get that God is overall? That he's sovereign, his hand in everything. Nothing happens except that he allows it, makes it happen, or disallows it. That's what's going on. God's sovereign. Do you get that, God? Next question. Do you get that you have real responsibility? The two of those going together. And they work together. Trust in your God. Trust in his hand in your life. And take full responsibility for the decisions you make as you run towards him in worship. That's our call. All right? Second, see the riches of God's glory, even in his patience with the rebellious. See the riches of God's glory, even in his patience with the rebellious. All right. These verses get a little bit thick, and we're going to walk through it slowly. Here we go. It starts out. What if God, right? He's starting out a question. What if it's like that old Hewlett Packard commercial? What if, right? And, uh, what if God, and some will say, well, see, he's asking a question. He doesn't know the answer. He's, he's asking, maybe this is it possibly perhaps like Paul's asking. And just so you know, that's not what's going on here at all. All right. Verse 14 is a set of questions. Verse 19 Is a set of questions and Paul's answering those questions. And now we get to verse 22 and Paul's now got a question for the questioner. Have you ever seen somebody teach that way? It's called the Socratic method. Let me ask you a question. What if, right? Let me help you start to think down the path that is true. And uh, he says, what if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, desiring to show his wrath And make known his power. Summary. God is just. He is righteous and holy. And his wrath does get dispensed upon all ungodliness of man. And uh, what about those that are saved? And then on Christ. Always his wrath expressed. His justice is always meted out. Everybody say always meted out. Always, Always, man. Always. Always. 
All right, that's where it's at. And so, yes, there's a part of God that's desiring to unleash his justice. That's a piece of him. He is holy and righteous and just, but that's not all that God is. He is also love and mercy. He is this beautiful tenderness along with righteousness. And the two together are so confusing for us as man. We pick one or the other. That's how we express it. All right, right now, I'm going to be just. Whack! And we throw our wrath on it, right? Love couldn't be found anywhere near us in that moment. Never mind. Now I'm love, right? And now all of a sudden there's no wrath. There's nothing that could go wrong. There's no justice in it. And that's how we express it. Just that's not God, just so you know. He never forgets or gives up any of his character. In the midst of both, acting with both. That's a complexity that we don't understand about him often. Let that be his, okay? Absolutely desiring to express his wrath and to make known his power. It says that while that's his condition underneath, notice what he does. Yet he has endured with much patience vessels of wrath. There's his love. Endured with much patience. So we have God who is justice. And now he is also love and mercy. And what a great thing as we see this God being both. He's got this hunger to be able to express his justice out. And yet at the same time, it says now he has endured with patience vessels of wrath. Endured with patience. Like he is pouring on them his blessings, his grace. He is sustaining their very life and existence. He is sharing with them who he is. He is holding back on what they deserve. Have you ever seen those moments where you're looking at somebody who's a complete punk with God, absolutely refusing God, and you're like, they're being blessed. Their company's doing well. They're making great money. Their family's all doing great. They're gorgeous. Everything's working out well. And what's up with that, God? Time to bring down a little bit of the justice, please. And, and enduring with great patience. Those that are standing directly in defiance against him. That's God showing his mercy in this world in one facet. All right. As he's patient with them. Vessels of wrath. Who are these? Well, these are the ones whose hearts are inclined away from God, as we saw here. They're the ones whose hearts will be allowed to be hardened in the end as they run to the end of where they want to be. Away from God. Right. Vessels of wrath. Ones who are headed for the hardening. And right now are standing in defiance against God. And uh, notice it says that these vessels of wrath are prepared for destruction. We're going to talk about that in just a second, okay? Prepared for destruction. Can we just talk about destruction for a moment? Uh, this is like a bad thing. Can we agree with that? Destruction. Don't want that happening to me, really, right? And destruction, it's a kind of an ongoing, nonstop thing, all right? This isn't the, it's just done and gone, right? Some will look at this and they'll say, so apparently they just go away and exist. No, man, this is talking about hell. This is talking about eternity. This is talking about no God in their presence, big deal, because God is the only source of goodness. No source of goodness anywhere in their lives or around them. That's what hell is. That's what makes it such a torment. And so this destruction eating up on them for eternity as they get exactly what they wanted an absolute standing against God and no life with them. And they get that. And uh, 
That's the prepared for destruction. We'll come back and talk about it in just a little bit again, uh, what the prepared means, all right? So it says that uh, he has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to, that's purpose statement, in order to, whenever you're reading scripture, look for these little clues like purpose statements. Why would God do that? Why would he be patient? What could he possibly be thinking about? And it says, in order that, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, in order to make known the riches of his glory, that's why he's doing it. He's putting himself on display. He's being patient in this world. Even with the rebels shaking a fist at him, he is loving on them. He is sharing into them. He is holding on with them. He is a part of, basically, as you saw me up there, holding the ball on the incline, even as they're inclined away from him. He's displaying his mercy at the highest levels. Why? In order that he might make known the riches of his glory. Mercy is such a huge part of the richness of who God is. The riches of his glory. And notice who it's being made known to. He's showing it to the vessels of wrath. He's displaying on them. Are they the ones that understand it? Take a look. Who gets it? It says, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. What's happening is those who have been inclined towards God and they're worshiping him are in this position. Lord, I've done nothing for you to pour this mercy on me. Nothing. It's not because of my works. It's not because of anything I've done. It's because of you who called. You simply inclined my heart. You shared your mercy and I did nothing. I'm amazed by your mercy and There's his mercy again right there. Did you see that? How he's just pouring it on this guy who's a total loser against God and won't do anything. Look at him lavishing it on him. I see his mercy everywhere. And that's what he's talking about. We become mercy spotters. We become adept at always seeing God's mercy at work in this world. Why? Because we know we deserved nothing. And God lifts me up and pours into me and allows me to run towards him, worshiping him all because of his calling. Mercy. Lord, I rush to your side. I make much of you. May you be celebrated. Everywhere that I see your mercy, I will celebrate you. That's what he's talking about. In order to make known the riches of his glory to vessels of mercy. And uh, now he gets a little bit more detailed which he has prepared beforehand for glory. So here we go with this word again, prepared. So he prepared vessels of wrath. He prepared vessels of mercy. All right. And just so you know, some will look at this and they'll be like, yeah, see, I told you. God's just like randomly just send that one to hell and send that one to heaven. Is, is that what that passage says? And uh, No, that is not what that passage says. All right. Here's what he's doing as he prepares. Just so you know, those words are in very different forms in the original language, and it doesn't really show. It's a little bit hidden in the English. So we're going to cover this at a couple levels. All right, here we go. Sixth grade explanation. Ready? Uh, There's hearts that are inclined away from God, and some God chooses to incline hearts towards. The inclined away 
is all of us from birth, our own choice. We're like against God. This is our choice away from him. God does reach in and choose to incline some towards him. Are you hearing it? Our choice on the inclined away, God allowing that, his choice to reach in and lift up and incline hearts towards. All right? That's the prepared explanation at sixth grade level. All right, let's go to high school level. Ready? If you look in the original language, this verb prepared is actually in two very different forms. In the first, it's in a passive form. It's called the middle voice. All right. It's a form that doesn't exist in English. We have no way to actually mirror it in the English. And so you try the best you can to put it in a passive tense and that's all you can do. All right. And so this middle voice, it means they're doing this preparing to themselves. All right. Or that somebody else is doing it to them or kind of a combination of both. But in the middle voice, somehow it's happening to them and they might even be responsible for it themselves. Middle voice. But on the vessels of mercy, it says, God prepared the vessels of mercy. It's in the active form. God is doing it. God alone. Are you hearing that? So vessels of wrath. Man is choosing to run away from God, doing it themselves, their choice. God in his sovereignty saying, I will allow that. And it hardens and runs them out to their end. Right? There's this combination thing. And so it's in the middle voice. But over here on the vessels of mercy, it's in the active form. It says, God alone doing the work, lifting and inclining, mercy given. Everybody say, that's a huge deal. Some of you are like, I'll say it, but I didn't catch it. All right, so let me just say this. Um, College level. Here we go. You ready? So we have man making a decision and God ordaining and allowing that decision to take place. We have in the midst of that man and God working together on all vessels of wrath. Okay. That would be called synergistic. They're working together. All right. Man and his will is taken into consideration and God working with that synergistic on the vessels of wrath. Vessels of mercy. God alone inclining the heart. He will have mercy on whom he'll have mercy. He chooses whom he will, not because of their works, but because of him who calls. God doing the inclining. God alone. It's called monergistic. Mono, like one. There's one party acting. It's God himself. And he's inclining a heart. Synergistic. Vessels of wrath. All of us responsible for our guilt and shame and sin and God allowing some to run to that very end, the vessels of wrath. And then for vessels of mercy, God reaches in when it wasn't warranted and lifts the heart inclining towards and there's a rush towards him. That's what scripture's saying. Let's go back to sixth grade level. Just think of the ramp. Okay? And that's what he's talking about. Vessels of wrath with their own inclination away from him. God ordaining and working with vessels of mercy. He reaches in and his hand re-inclining. So that God doing a work that is not merited. Man, when we are saved, all too often we're like, yeah, I chose Christ. Well, yes, after the yellow ball hit God, right? After we came running down the hill. God inclining our hearts first. We've got to see that that's what Romans 9 is teaching. Huge deal. Okay. He goes on a little bit. He says, prepared beforehand for glory. 
like eternity where God's perfection and character is on display and we are being benefited as we worship and celebrate him forever. It says, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, even us believers, ones trusting in Christ that Paul is writing to here in Rome. He says, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Look, I'm telling you, the vessels of mercy is anyone believing in Christ. You know that there's come to the end point of believing that God's done some inclining. There's a huge thing taking place as yes, some from the Jews and yes, some from every tribe, tongue and nation as every nation will be represented in proclaiming the greatness of our God. That's what he's doing. He's pulling together some glory-sharing proclaimers, those who are saved. That's what it's all about. And all too often we start saying saved. It's about not the destruction. It's about the glory. And yes, that happens, but we're missing the point. It's about making much of his name in this universe. That's what we're to be doing. All right? And uh, so I was looking up some stories and illustrates this week, and I found this one. It's kind of interesting. Um, It's a Jewish story. It's an old Jewish story. Probably made up. I'll be honest. Probably made up. But it's about Abraham. All right. Father of Israel. And uh, so Abraham was in his tent one night and an old man came by in his 80s, really wrestling, struggling. And and so he invited him into the tent and he washed his feet and he made him a meal and, and, and he set it all up for him to be comfortable there that evening. And they began to chat and they were having a great talk and interacting. And the man started sharing his heart on things. And Abraham could start telling He doesn't seem to be believing in God. And so he said, do you know the I am? And he starts introducing him to the great one that he knows, the almighty king. And the man looks at him and shakes his head and says, I believe in no God except fire. He's like, fire? Why fire? And he's like, it keeps me warm in the cold and it cooks my meals and I control where it goes and what it does. Fire. Ah, that is my God. He goes, what about the great I am in charge of you and in charge of this world? Abraham gets all fired up, doesn't listen. So he stands up, grabs the old man by the nape of the neck, throws him out of his tent. That's it. If you're not believing in my God, you're out of here, man. No rebellion in this tent. And so the next day, God is speaking with Abraham, as the Jewish story goes, and he says, where's the man that I sent to you? And he said, well, God, I, I could not take that he would not respect you. He would not worship you. And if he's not worshiping you, then he's not in my tent. I threw him out. He said, Abraham, I have been patient with this man for 80 plus years. Can you not for one night Express the mercy that I've been expressing on him for his life. That's our call. To start becoming mercy spotters of God at work in someone's life. And seeing that God might be doing some amazing sustaining and not just celebrating the man. It isn't about the man. It's about the God behind the man and the blessing going on. And as these verses say here, recognize That that mercy being shared out, even on the rebel soul who will not believe, even then sharing out upon them, patient with them, our response, there's his mercy again. 
How often we cry out for God to be a God of justice. And uh, it's not wrong to see his justice. It's not wrong to see he does work that. It's said very clearly in this passage, he desires to share that wrath. But I'm telling you, he's way more than a God of justice. He is a God of patience and mercy. And as he dispenses that into this world, as he sees fit, our job is to be a mercy watcher and a mercy worshiper. That's my God. Did you see that mercy on display? Justice could have come down here and he chose mercy. And you know why that's awesome? Because he did that with me and my soul. And if he didn't share mercy, I'd have nothing. I worship the God who picks mercy as he wills. And I am wildly in love with all that he's doing. That's what we're called to be seeing and doing. Huge. Romans chapter 9, massive call for us to see God's mercy on display. And instead of questioning him and his justice, being blown away by his mercy shared and worshiping him for it. So simple question. When you see someone in complete unbelief against God and standing in rebellion, is your first thought, I am good, not in that spot? Or is your first thought, God is good? Do you see his patience expressed even in this moment? God's mercy day by day as he works with all of us wherever we are. Become mercy spotters. It'll change your perspective on life. I'm telling you, it will rock your world when you start thinking of God this way. Look for his mercy shared, even in the rebellious. Number three. Trust the faithfulness of God and his word, even in these tough truths. Trust the faithfulness of God and his word, even in these tough truths. And uh, this will move pretty fast. He's got a couple of quick quotes. He said, as indeed he says in Hosea, just so you know, this is tying back to verse six now, which says, but the word of God has not failed, right? But it is not as though the word of God has failed. And now he's going to bring up the word of God and show us. All right. Hosea is being quoted here. Hosea says, those who were not my people, I will call my people. This is in Hosea two, verse 23. Those who were not my people, the phrase literally is lo ami, lo, not, am, people, e, mine. Not my people, lo ami, okay? In fact, if you read Hosea, it turns out he was asked to name his kid that. Bummer of a name. Hey, not my people! Get over here! Right? Why did he do that? I want them to understand from where they've come and who I am. And, right, he's calling them not my people and... Lo me, but notice what it says. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. Name change, Ami. Right? And uh, what made the name change? He says it right there. I will call. It does not depend on our works, but on him who calls. Even in these verses. Hosea 2. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. God at work in the hearts, re-inclining a heart towards him. That's what he's doing. Taking them from against and leaning them towards. And uh, he then says, And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, 
There they will be called the sons of the living God. That's quite a change, right? Not my people. Nothing to do with them. You are my children. Sons, in fact, where you have rightful heir to the throne, where I will pour out upon you. You are my sons and daughters. You have every right to the inheritance that I have for you. And huge change as God calls out. And now he moves from Hosea to Isaiah. He's in Isaiah 10 here. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. Have you ever been at the beach and you pick up some sand in your hand? And you just kind of let the sand grains fall? Can you imagine having to count just what you could pick up in your hand? And he's saying, as the sand of the sea. Right? Just millions upon millions upon millions of blessing as God has worked. And it says, Isaiah cries out, though the number of the sands of the sea, or though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Uh, Only a remnant. We're right back to the beginning of Romans 9 here. Why only some, God? Well, it's been foretold from the beginning. Isaiah said this is how it was going to go down. God does work in this way. He's calling out a remnant. And he's going to have them be declaring his great mercy and how awesome he is. It says at the end here, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Don't kid yourselves. God is just. And all too often we keep saying God is love so we don't have to think about the justice. Both intact. All right. And then he says at the end. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and been like Gomorrah. God blessing even in the rebels as he allowed more children and offspring and through the offspring he calls out a remnant and he inclines their heart towards and they run towards him and a remnant being saved. Their job to declare God's glory. Okay? Romans chapter 9. The word absolutely being faithful and true and our God being faithful and true. I just want to do this real quickly. A couple of questions that we need to answer as we look at these passages. These are heavy passages. And um, so first question, I've heard this a lot. So why share Christ then? Why missions? I mean, if God's doing the choosing and we don't know who he's going to choose and maybe we should just let it be. And okay, let me just address it this way. First, I think we're misunderstanding our role when we ask that question. Our role is not to save someone. Our role is to share with someone the awesomeness of God and proclaim his name and his mercy and his glory. And we're done, baby. We proclaim him. We worship him with all we have. We light that place up with conviction and passion that that's my God. And then we step back. And God will do as God will do. God's job is the saving. Our job is the proclaiming. And it never changes. Why do missions? Because we will proclaim the glory of his name for all of eternity. And it starts right now. And may God do the work wherever he sees fit. Does everybody get that? And that is a massive deal. Missions is proclamation. God owns the hearts and we watch him as he works and we worship him as he moves. It must be about him. It must be about his glory. 
Hang on, we'll get to this in Romans 10. A lot more. But I just wanted to make sure we touched on it today since I know there's a lot of wrestle. One more thing. Gospel message. We talked about this when we started Gospel Deep way back in September. The problem the gospel is addressing is not, everybody say it's not, is not man has sinned and is going to hell. That is not the problem. Like, I don't know, dude, that sounds like a problem. And I'm with you. That sounds like a problem, but that's not the problem of the gospel being addressed. The problem is this. His glory is trampled on. That's the problem. God's glory has been mocked and we have walked away from him. We have made little of his name and we have masked his greatness in that moment. God's glory has been trampled. That's the problem. For all have sinned and fall short of the problem. God's glory has been trampled. Now that's a big deal. Now we look to the fix and it has two parts. His wrath expressed and his mercy expressed. And in both ways, the glory is being reestablished. Are you seeing it? His wrath and his mercy both put God back over it all. His glory being expressed over it all, whether it be through his justice or his mercy, God's glory is being righted. That's the gospel message. It's this simple. Man, we have one job. When we are pulled up and our hearts are inclined towards him, this is our job. You have been called out as a proclaiming one. Your job is to make much of the greatness of God in this world that refuses to do so. God will write things. He will put his glory intact. But I'm telling you this. God's call for us who are saved is make much of the almighty king. He is a God of mercy. He offers up on the cross what I do not deserve. He has lifted and inclined my heart and I never did a thing. Nothing that I've done is from me good enough. But my God, he saved my soul as he inclined my heart towards him. And I run to him believing and confessing and that is saved. Are you hearing it? My God at work. I do nothing of the sort to earn it. He inclines my heart to him. I rush towards him and I declare that mercy anywhere and everywhere. That's my God pouring his mercy out all over this place in common grace to everyone. And in a very specific mercy electing grace to some as their job is to become proclaimers of the king. That's Romans 9. His glory is being fully elevated. It's all about his glory being declared. Hear me on this. This is not because God is weak and he needs his name shared. It's not like God's up there going, wow, it makes me feel kind of bad. And uh, I think I'm going to have some people talk good of me for a little while. And that's not what's happening. This is God up in heaven saying, it has been designed that much would be made and emanate from me. The creator and sustainer of everything. And we will put this thing back in place. God's setting it up and saving all that he has created. That's a huge, restoring, awesome, merciful, loving God. And our job as those who get that mercy is to get this. 
Remember this. The vessels of wrath do not even see the mercy happening. So your job as a vessel of mercy is to see it everywhere and declare it out with all you've got. To celebrate his mercy, to celebrate his love, and to celebrate your God and his unbelievable love and touch. Proclaim him. And let's see what God does in this world. That's what we're called to. God's sovereignty above reproach. And our call to salvation, what a privilege that we can make much of the greatness of our God. Singing from the mountaintops with all we've got. And all of God's people said, Amen. It's a heavy passage, isn't it? If you're visiting with us, this is all we do every week. We just keep going over. (laughs) And we're walking through Romans, and I love what the depth of this passage has. And man, we deal with it as we hit it, and we will deal with it all. Praise be to God. Let's go to prayer.